everyone and welcome to the first animation one-to-ones of 2023 brought to you by squiggly online animation magazine i'm ben mitchell editor-in-chief here at squiggly.com pleased to bring you a chat with the filmmaking duo behind one of last year's most visually captivating animated features apollo ten and a half a space age childhood so I suppose it's an animation two-to-one, as we're meeting Academy Award-nominated director, writer, and producer Richard Linklater, as well as co-producer and head of animation Tommy Pilotta. The film stars a restrained Jack Black as a man fondly narrating memories of his youth in Houston, Texas, during the summer of 1969 in the lead-up to the moon landing, interweaving the enormity of mankind's great leap and the fantasies it conjures in his young mind, with comparatively mundane yet equally entertaining snapshots that celebrate the simple joys of family life and Americana, drawing upon the personal memories of Richard himself, whose films include Slacker, Dazed and Confused, The Decades Spanning Before Trilogy and Boyhood, as well as Waking Life and A Scanner Darkly, both of which implemented their own variations on the rotoscoping technique, owed to his ongoing collaboration with Tommy and their shared passion for implementing animation as a valid and powerful storytelling method. Having dropped on Netflix last spring to much enthusiasm and positive reviews, the film is presently in contention for the 2023 Best Animated Feature Academy Award nominations, following an initial struggle to be deemed eligible. A battle won that will hopefully set a new precedent for future editions of the ceremony and the industry at large. So without further ado, here's Richard Linklater and Tommy Pilotta. Richard and Tommy, thank you so much for talking to Squiggly today. Uh, really enjoy the film. I gave it a rewatch over the weekend. It's really nice because it's obviously a very different childhood story than, you know, my childhood. And yet it feels very kind of relatable. And there's just something about those sort of um, like memory oriented films that is very kind of comforting to watch. Uh, so firstly, congrats on the film. And um uh, Richard, I got the impression that the story kind of stems from your own lived experience. And would you say it's kind of directly autobiographical or was it more kind of loosely inspired by that time in your life? Yeah, I never know the cri- right criteria. Yes, autobiographical, not specifically every bit, but yes, so many. It's a memory film for sure. I like what you were saying about memories. I think, you know, we're all people. If you can get into anyone's memories, they're kind of interesting just as a person. So I kind of believe in that in storytelling. If something actually happens to you, you're the one to tell that story. So I um, realized many years ago, I was just thinking like, oh yeah, I lived through a pretty interesting moment in history as a kid. Maybe, maybe that, you know, living somewhat near NASA, having jets flying overhead at the speed of sound, sonic booms, you know, it was really interesting to be that close to NASA during that vibrant period, maybe that's my movie to make, you know, maybe there's a movie there being a kid. So, you know, you think about that for 10 years and you eventually write a script and you want to be entertaining. So my dad didn't work at NASA, but a lot of my neighbors did. So, but I thought it'd be more interesting for the film if the dad worked in it, you know, so, but everything with the family dynamics, all the specificity. Yeah. That's all, that's all straight up um, happened. You know, and and the film is trying to also be not only accurate to my memories and one major fantasy, that's the core of the movie, but also the cultural history is trying to be very accurate 
also meticulously so you know both the nasa and the everything else so i don't know it was a fun multi-pronged uh project for sure hmm. so how did the two of you come to work together had you done stuff before this project yeah we've yeah. done two other animated features mm-hmm. waking life and scanner darkling so waking life was the first that also used rotoscoping but in a quite different way and scanner darkly also it's kind of its own unique thing what i guess was the appeal of animation as a i imagine at that time a primarily live action filmmaker that dimension i guess to storytelling well i had been friends with tommy for years you know on my first film tommy was both a pa and he, like everyone in that film i'm talking about slacker he was in it and so we were just friends and keeping up with you know what we were each doing tommy was making films and developing things and so was i so um he and a friend were doing these kind of animations that i thought were really interesting looking um this kind of computer variant of rotoscoping and when i first saw them they were just black and white pretty simple designs that was starting to elevate and i said you know it, it clicked in my mind and this is where i think where it's kind of indigenous and it it works for the storytelling i had had a story i was thinking about for about 20 years and it just didn't work live action i didn't like that movie in my head live action but i thought oh if it looked like that that story might work you know it needed to be reimagined it needed an, another I, I just liked the way the brain works when it was looking at that particular technique so yeah we made this whole movie it was kind of an experimental indie narrative i think we were the first indie indie computer what is it <laughs> indie computer yeah, independent computer animated feature in America. Yeah, something like that. But <laughs> but that technique kind of um we took it about as far as we felt we could with the next movie of you know, years later, um Scanner Darkly. And you know, those are true those two are truly rotoscope movies. But Tommy was also after that developing some other things I was interested in and at one point, we got some development money from a studio. I was making this movie that had uh, an animated, a big animated element. It was about half animated. So we, um, I don't know, kind of advanced the animation. We had a little money, and I thought it advanced. That film never happened, but I thought we, it was getting really interesting, kind of a 2D, 3D rotoscope combo that I thought would be really interesting. Tommy goes on to do, you know, to develop that even more. So when this came around and I had the same process of thinking, you know, that story I'm telling, I'm thinking, trying to tell, doesn't really work live action. It's too literal. I'm not interested. I just don't think it works. It was, um, yeah, it's like, hey, that animation technique is ready for, it'll work perfect for what we're doing here, you know? So it was a kind of, it was a fun moment in time to get back together and throw ourselves completely into this you know yeah what what i find really interesting is sort of the specifics of the animation approach with this because initially my impression of it was okay this is pretty straight ahead rotoscoping um and then as i'm watching i'm like oh actually this looks sort of a bit more complex uh, yeah i was just sort of fascinated i guess in, in what went into achieving that look 
Well, I mean, I, I this like Waking Life and Scanner Darkly, there was a live action performance reference. But unlike those films, um, it was the other films were fully rotoscoped, so they were shot on location. Um, everything that you see was interpreted from that rotoscope. We shot this on a green screen studio. Um, and so the only things that that we're looking at in terms of the rotoscope were just really the performance capture of those characters. And then the the film was sort of built around using a lot of imagination. So when they're when um in the in the edited version of it, you'll see uh temporary uh footage or reference photos. Um, sometimes it was archival, you know, type material, but we knew the entire time that we had to build the entire world around that. And that sort of made sense for this story, since it's about a a, a that sort of childhood perspective where imagination and creativity starts to flourish and and you start building those worlds in your mind as a child. And so that was such a, a deep and important part of it. And also, you know, like we talked about how it's memory and, and how memory recreates itself. And then there was a lot of things, you know, like, like you know, there was a lot of it's really based on reality. Um, there's an amusement park called Astroworld that they travel to that had been demolished for many, many years. And Rick and I, um, I also grew up in the same area that that Rick did as well. And we're trying to remember, like, what was the architecture, you know, of these spaces? So we didn't even have great reference for that. We were sort of building that in our own adult minds, um, you know, retroactively in there. And it just really seemed to to fit the story itself. And, and we wanted to move beyond sort of the more literal rotoscope into a more animated realm where that world is completely created but you still have the specificity of sort of live action acting and those sort of micro expressions and moments yeah i'm, I'm kind of obsessed with the you know with the performance because it it's trying to be very realistic even though the film's kind of this fantastical recreation it's a it's a fantasy a kid goes to the moon but you know, we wanted those performances to to feel real. I want the human brain that's watching the movie to to accept it as some kind of reality, not so we weren't going for a caricatured look. I mean, we we could we could do a lot of things with that, but I, I just felt as far as the performances that that and was, we and we did that, do that. that. That technique does very well. Yeah, and what we did do is. In, in the world that we're creating, we really took a 2D approach to this and it was yeah, animated on twos. Yeah. And so it, the entire thing was done in TV paint. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a 2D animated production with elements of rotoscope and 3D sort of thrown in there. But even the, the mandate always was to, to creativity trumps technology. So... Um, even in, in the Astroworld sequence, they go through a mountain and you see that POV and they're going through that, the tunnels and things like that. We just took 2D slices, you know, put it in two and a half D environment, created our lights and went through that. We could have done it 3D. It would have been a lot simpler. All the effects are all hand drawn. We really wanted it to be um, a bespoken approach, really a handmade movie because, um, again, it really harks back to the animation of that time, you know, the late 60s, early 70s had a huge influence on us. For us, uh, when we were kids, there were Saturday morning cartoons, um, which were all done on twos, you know, sort of very quickly. Um, and it was about trying to, to take away the technology because also it's a period piece. And 
the the thing now is that I, I can see so much of the math and the algorithms um, in the simulations of of animation. And so it would have seemed odd to be to be leaning on those tools when it was really about this more analog era. So even though we're making it with very sort of digital tools, our mindset was very analog throughout the whole process. And it really was about taking animation back to the basics. Yeah. Hmm. So you mentioned before, like it was a green screen um, shoot. There's a lot of kind of interaction with environment. And I was sort of interested in that part of it as well. Like, are you kind of building sort of set elements to that, like things people sit on or pick up and touch or? Yeah, anything that's too close to the actor, a prop or anything, that would be live. Or they all sat in a real station wagon when they're singing the Johnny Cash song or something. But even like the space when he's in the, you know, space capsule, he interacts with a couple switches. So we'd have a, we would build it, but only have a couple switches, the ones he interacted with. And we would build all the rest later. You know, so much of it was we just kind of play acting. Oh, we'll do all that later. You're walking through a drive-in theater or you're sitting at a movie. And it was pretty fun to to make the movie in a somewhat traditional movie production way. You know, you have a crew, you have lighting and costume and, you know, all the usual. You'll see in our credits, credits you wouldn't normally see in an animated film. And then you'll see animated film credits because we shot it rather quickly in 20 days on this in this green screen environment but it was still meticulously planned like every shot in the that of live action is a special effect you know it it's we have the environment already imagined it's just we have to perform within that those parameters and you know it was just kind of funny to say oh if you you have to walk in that tell the little kids you know you just walk through a wall you have to walk down the, <laughs> the don't walk past the tape you know so you know that kind of thing so we were in a real environment that we would be building later but at the time of production it, not much of it was there just the necessary elements for each scene so we could move pretty quickly but yeah. when you see the final film if you could see the live action it's so minimal you know we have a kid on a a crane to be simulating his walking on the moon, just have him on a wire with the feet are just hitting a, a green floor, you know, the dust and the coming up the moon dust and the powder and the surface, you know, I just, it was fun to do that knowing what it was going to look like later, how much creativity and imagination everybody brought to their role. It was, it was very satisfying to see this um, come together. Yeah. And and again, I mean, the rot rotoscope animation is one of the oldest animation techniques. I mean, it goes all the way back to the Fleischer's early 1900s. I mean, this is this technique has been done for over 100 years and um, all the classic Disney films that we grew up on. Um, turns out they released just a trove of, of reference um, material uh, was discovered recently. And so all those, you know, yeah, those great Disney movies, you know, had bits of rotoscoping in that. So it was it's really that same technique and that same method. Um, yeah, that's really it's a hundred year old technique. Why wouldn't you use that as an artist? You're trying to replicate human expression and communicate to an audience. I mean, people obviously are looking for references any way they can get them and incorporate them. So we're just doing sort of a more modern version. But sometimes we feel, you know 
early on, the Academy said we weren't an animated film. We finish our movie, this handmade movie, and then we get noticed that the the Academy has decided we're we're not we're not an animated film, and we're just going what? If we're not an animated film, what the hell are we? You know, every frame you know, it, was, it was crazy, but we had to fight the fight. But it, we we realized it was just there's some prejudice against. And that's such a small element of our movie. It's an important one when it comes to character design, but it just it was irritating and kind of I, I felt it was very prejudicial and discriminatory. Ultimately, we won that fight, by the way, and maybe others don't have to fight that in the future because of what we did. But it was it was just depressing. It's it's it felt like yeah. What other well, I think rules? that. You know, you know. I think the bias even extends beyond the technique. I, uh, you know, yeah. especially here in terms of the academy, it really is sort of a, a family genre, um, uh, and and we have been making movies for adults. Uh, both Waking Life and Scanner Darkly are, are, you know, clearly adult films. This was a film. You know, most most animated films that are made here are designed for kids and for adults to sort of just think that they're pretty good too but we made a film that really was for kids but we thought that made we made this film for adults but thought that kids would enjoy it as well right so it was that little bit of difference i think that um you know we're still trying to push animation as a you know as a valid way to tell stories not just for family films but for many types of stories yeah, and somehow this notion has evolved in the modern era. It's not that old that the the look, this modern look of you know Pixar and everybody that that became the one look for animation. You know, I've been in the Academy a long time. I've um, to me the most exciting category because so many of the features all kind of look the same. They're using the same tools, same technology. But you go to the short film category, and you see real innovation and and creativity hand-drawn. I go, wow, I, I see so much interesting stuff in the shorts. And my only desire was like, why don't more features look like this? Why aren't people telling stories, using it as a storytelling tool, using that look or that look? And, you know, they do pop out every now and then, but you almost, we almost felt like there's a there's a force out there that's suppressing this. They want films to look one way for kids and because it's working so well economically in general that they really don't want to be challenged on any other level. It's just sad to me because the one category that should be the most expressive, the most free is really the animation category. And it felt like it was stifled. It was in another century in its thinking. So we're, we're glad to have maybe break, broken through that a little bit. And it's not most of the animators, most of the people in that branch are, you know, they were pulling for us and they, they want this log jam to end also. But there's a there's a established guard there that any anyway, that was it felt like we were bumping up against something that was unfortunate. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because I was interested in, in your perspectives on that. It was a it was a real head scratcher, like watching Absolutely. that from the outside. And yeah, you do just sort of wonder, like, do they just not understand what they're even looking at? Because um, I think the, the reasoning at some point was that they just thought it was essentially live action and all of that, you know, what we just sort of talked about that process, um, to get it to where it is, to get the look at it has. Um, 
it's just not a consideration, I guess, or it feels like, oh, well, they probably just pressed a button on a computer. I think that's like a future paranoia that's present now. Hmm. Like there, maybe there will be a day where you can push a button, but that day isn't today. Tell that to our animators who spent so many hundreds of thousands of hours, you know, but maybe there's a fear that in the future there will be something that can do animate. You can shoot live action and send it through. And, you know, so that would be a threat to the notion, but um, you know, that's not today. That's not our film. I'm sorry if that's a paranoia, but you know, every, every medium has their paranoia about where technology and AI kind of crosses and, you know, like, let's deal with that as a community when that happens. Yeah. And, and I'm sure when it does, we'll all adjust to whatever reality we're sitting in as we always do, but yeah. let's not get ahead of ourselves. That felt to me like they were just doing, you know, yeah, yeah it's, it's hard for me to believe that anybody who who works in animation would look at this film and not see the yeah. the choices that were made, the design, the animation um, in every single frame. Yeah. So it, it is difficult to to understand where that came from. And I think it is just sort of a bias you know, ab about the technique. But again, you know, just the type of storytelling. They, yeah. they, there is that. Yeah, it's not just technical. It's kind of like we just don't like your kind around here <laughs> making adult weird stuff that looks real that, you know, it's just not what we do. So get lost. You know, <laughs> there was a little bit of that. Maybe I hate to think that way. Cause everyone we run into is so nice and seems appreciative, but you realize there's forces that you don't meet that are way up there. The food chain that yeah. maybe don't have their friendliness, you know, of, of the, your day-to-day -day animator or director or people. You know, yeah, I was interested in that too. If if you ever get a sort of resistance from audiences when you've made a project, because of course you've done so much live action work as well, but when you've chosen to kind of go down an animation route, do people generally get it? Are they on board with it? Do you yeah. find? Or, yeah, yeah. I've never felt anything but that. I've always That's thought good. they've gone with you know people. They just want to be told a story. I think mm. they trust your choices. You know, because what does the director do? But, you know, oh, we're this is going to be in black and white. This is going to be in CinemaScope. This is, you know, it's just storytelling techniques and choices. I'm I'm lucky because I, I understand animation and it, it's a it's a possibility for me as a storyteller that I've been very lucky to have used three times in my collaborations with Tommy, you know, but um I wish, you know, more people would look at it that way. It, it really shouldn't. It's not. It's just a choice. It's it's a storytell. It's just stories. You know, it's not. If you understand it, it's not that big a deal. You know, it's like we all collaborate in our productions. It's just one more extra level, obviously, of collaboration. You know, it's making the film twice in a way. But I find it very freeing and fun and super creative and imaginative and i don't know i just love it so that's it's really wonderful to hear and um yeah congratulations again on the film and uh thanks again for talking to us um Thank wishing you. you the best of luck for the next the coming months and um right. yeah hope very much to uh, get to speak to you again likewise well yeah we hope we're back with another someday soon awesome <laughs> who knows 
Many thanks to Richard Linklater and Tommy Pilotta for joining Squiggly in this episode of Animation 1 to 1s. Apollo 10 and a Half, A Space Age Childhood is available to watch now on Netflix. And for more on Richard's work, check out Detour Film Production at detourfilm.com. To see more of Tommy's work, check out uncanny.com, spelled U-N-C-A-N-I. He's also on Twitter at uncanny. Of course, we're also on the socials at Squiggly on Twitter, at Squiggly Animation on Instagram, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. The website for all your news, reviews, interviews, podcasts, short film showcases, pithy editorials, etc. is Squiggly.com. I've been Ben Mitchell. Until next time, happy animating. <laughs>